Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Ennevar. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security, and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. I am Clive Enever, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Alice Rue about why using qualified advisors is important and how shortcuts can strangle your business. Alice has practiced in the insolvency and corporate recovery industry for almost 20 years and is a registered trustee in bankruptcy and a liquidator. She is a true believer in providing clear, and relevant communication to stakeholders and recognises that often things are not always quite as they seem. Hello, Alice, and welcome. Thanks, Clive. Really happy to be here. Absolute pleasure to have you on board because I think we might find out a little bit about bankruptcy, liquidation, but probably most importantly, we want to know who's Alice, where is she, and what's her family like? Thanks, Clive. It's sometimes a bit interesting to get asked those questions because everybody thinks you're the big scary ogre, the liquidator who goes and examines everyone and takes them to court. But no, 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 I'm a person too. I grew up in Cairns, actually. I've been around for a little while. Grew up in Cairns. My parents were in um, small business, so I saw a lot in that space. A lot of the stresses, a lot of the accomplishments that come with small business. Back in those days, you couldn't go to uni in Cairns unless you wanted to study teaching or marine biology. And I chose not to go to Townsville, so I came to Brisbane for uni. My big brother was down here and I studied commerce and business management at the University of Queensland and I stayed on college. And I think I probably had more education from the college experience than I did the university experience, but that's a story for another time. I started practising in insolvency in 2001. It was an area that I was really keen to get into, unusual for graduates at the time, I know. Now graduates have a bit more of a grasp about what insolvency is and what we do. But I love the business law side of it. I love the forensic side of it. And I was really wrapped actually to get involved at that time. I've been involved in small practice, live and mid-tier practice. And I'm back in boutique practice as a partner at SMB now. And I'm back in Brisbane. I've worked in Brisbane for probably over half of my working life. But I did do about a 10-year stint in Melbourne. So relatively recently, SMB, we've got offices in Melbourne, with our, our headquarters really, Geelong, Hobart, Brisbane and the Gold Coast. I have a husband and we don't sort of take things too far from home. He's got 25 years insolvency experience when he works in the office with me. So people often refer to how interesting our household must be with two chartered accountants at the helm. We've got two children. One's just started prep this year and one's three and a half. Uh, so they keep us on our toes as well. But we sort of love our family life and we love our business life. It's a nice niche to have both of them together. Oh, indeed. And uh, you've certainly had a broad look at Australia, starting out in Cairns and working for 10 years in Melbourne. I could tell you a very interesting story about a butcher's VA that took me to Darwin and a, a landlord that tried to lock me in a shipping container, but that might be for another time as well. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to get into the scary side of this forensic (laughs) stuff. No. (laughs) Today's about how you can prevent it, I think, Clive. Oh, indeed. And look, that is the sort of information that we want to get to people is what do you do to 
as you say, prevent it? How do we just keep things running the way that they should run rather than find out, well, probably a bit like finding out on New Year that Christmas happened a week ago? Exactly right. Exactly right. (laughs) And it's important, Clive. I think people get very focused on their business and what's happening in the day-to-day. And business owners sometimes don't grasp enough to just step back and have a look at their figures, you know, and I advocate that that should be done at least once a month and probably once a week if you've got, you know, the, the ability to do so. I think for me, reading figures, and you probably very similar, it's like reading a book. You can tell a story when you know what your figures are and you can know what's happening. And it's not just a story about your business, five, but also about your competitors. So you can tell what's happening in your customer's life by where your revenue's at. I can also have to see when your, your, your competitors are doing something differently. And when you can pick those things up early, then I think that's when you can make real change and have sustained growth within your business. Yes, when I talk to people about numbers, very often the eyes roll back in the head and we're looking for a pillow where we'd like to have a sleep rather than this conversation. What do you think it is about the numbers that frighten people so? I think it's the people think that they don't know what the numbers mean. I think they're like the tarot cards. People think that they're going to pull a card and the numbers are going to tell them something that they didn't know. And quite frankly, despite the level of people who do get into distress, most people who go into business know their business. They have an innate sense about when something's going right and when it's going wrong and how much stock they should have or what something should look like. And a lot of the time, the figures merely support that. But they're scared that if they look at their figures, they don't understand what they mean. So they think that they're not relevant to them. Or alternatively, they think they're going to tell them something really bad, that they've got a huge tax debt or that they've got something that's coming up. And so they put their head in their sand a little bit in relation to that. And I think that's one of the most important things to get change your headspace about. Yes. So the real thing about uh, figures, as you mentioned earlier, they do tell a story and they tell the story of one's business. But when we think we know what they're telling us without reading them, perhaps we're not getting the right message. I think that's right. And I think the relevant and current message is what we're after because it's one thing to think something's happening and 18 months down the track have that either confirmed or denied. I think if you're able to look at your cash flow in particular, sort of on a weekly basis to understand that you've got the funds to do what you want to do going out, that's really important. You might think that you are writing a huge amount of invoices out, but if you're not collecting the debtors, that's not very good to you, especially if you don't have great advice and you're paying tax on the um, the invoices you're drawing and not the cash you're getting in. A really big advocate that numbers may not be for everybody, but if you're not interested, find somebody who is and employ them in your business. Yeah, you mentioned a, a really important thing there, I think, that perhaps we might be paying tax on monies we're not actually collecting. So can you give us a simple explanation of what that actually means? It would only have to be simple, Clive, because I'm an insolvency accountant and not a tax accountant. So that's sort of the first (laughs) uh, clarification I need to make. But obviously people report on either a cash or an accruals basis. You see that on your GST and your BAS and stuff all the time. And so you need to report on what your income is. Now, if you're classing your level of income on the invoices that you're drawing and sending out, then at that point in time, if you're on an accruals basis, that's what you're paying the tax on. If you're in a cash system, however, it's not until the money comes in 
that you're then paying the tax on that money and you sort of have that quantified at that point in time. I understand that there are some restrictions about who can operate on a cash and accruals basis, but again, that's why you need the advisors to know and to set up your business in a way that works for you. And of course, perhaps the most simple outcome from everything that you just said, which was very clear, by the way, it wasn't difficult to follow at all, is going back to your earlier comment, perhaps you're a a builder or whatever your field is, that's where you excel. Let's get the experts in to help with the areas that we don't necessarily excel in. Absolutely. I think there's a really important piece about people being artists or being masters in what they do and are very well qualified to have a a business to do their own thing, have their own brand and to run that. But I think being an artist in business, you know, or a master in business is an entirely separate, an entirely separate division to what you might be good at building houses, planting out gardens, producing widgets, whatever it is. Take the time to do that. Take the time to really master and be better than anybody else at that and let somebody else look at your books because I think they're both equal proponents to the business's success. Either one falls down and then we've got a problem. And, of course, too often when we're trying to do the things that we're not good at, one or both might fall. Correct. Absolutely. (laughs) So let's take a reasonably simple but not so simple that it interferes with your expertise. But let's take a reasonably simple look at, okay, there are businesses that end up with you on the wrong side of the ledger. That is that they need to be wound up and dispensed with in one way or another. What's the easy way, bearing in mind that a lot of us look at a balance sheet and go, interesting, Ben, or we look at even a P&L and we go, interesting, not sure. What's the things that we should look at whilst we're in business to say, this is the things that I need to know, this is what I need to get somebody to help with? Absolutely. Two main points I think there. One is you want to know if you're making profit. If you're not making money in your business, then why are you in business? If you have a a four, five, ten-year plan of how you're going to get there and you're comfortable that you're on that trajectory, that's one thing. But you need to understand that a lot of businesses don't have that. A lot of businesses looking year to year, day to day, and trying to figure out whether or not they are actually making money. So I think insofar as looking at a profit and loss, it's really looking at two things. It's above the line. So we're looking at whether what we're selling is actually bringing in more money than what we're paying for what we're selling, quite simply. And you'd be surprised at how many businesses don't. And that's red flag, obviously, number one. Then we have to look right at the bottom. Do we have a net profit or do we have a net loss? And that is whether our overall business is as efficient as we could could have it. Now, both of those things being negative is not fatal. But we pick it up early and we can look at how we can either minimise the cost or increase the revenue. Pretty simple seesaw analogy. And then we can deal with it that way. As insolvency practitioners, the balance sheet is our first love. We look at it. It needs to make sense. If you're reading your balance sheet and you've got no idea what it means, then you need to talk to somebody. And if the accountant you're using can't make it any simpler for you, then you need to talk to somebody else. I've seen balance sheets that have contra assets and reverse loans and things that I've never seen before in them. And you ask a business owner, what does that mean? 
and they just look at you deer in headlights. Now, it's your business. It's your balance sheet. The balance sheet shows you what you own and what you owe. Pretty simple if you ask me. If you can't understand what you own and what you owe, then there's problems there. And when we look at solvency, it's very hard. It's like unicorn. It's a very hard thing to establish whether or not somebody's solvent or not. We look at whether or not a company or a business can pay its debts as and when they fall due. So that's obviously can be seen in different avenues. When is a debt due? How liquid do you have to be to be able to do that? And it's not always by the company. Can a business pay its debts as and when it falls due? Maybe not with its own resources, but maybe there's somebody else who you know will put in the money and you're comfortable that the debts will be paid. So we need to look at that net assets figure and hope that that's positive and that we understand what's in the balance sheet, the net profit and the gross profit. They're the two, the three, I think, sorry, important parts of that. And again, the message from everything you've said, whilst again, it's very clear, if we're not sure, get somebody to explain it. And we'd better make sure they're actually a professional rather than Joe Bloggs next door. Oh, look, I think qualified advisors are so important in a business. And there is a loyalty tax. You find that businesses that start quite small, and sometimes this is in a service business. So for example, you might be a plumber or something similar, and you've had one accountant who might have been your mum's accountant or whatever over time, and they've started to do your books. And that's worked quite well. They've done the tax within the right time frame. They did they might do the basses for you or give your bookkeeper to do the basses or what have you. But over time, that plumbing business might enter into a number of contracts with commercial plumbing sort of builders, commercial builders. It might put on staff. It might have contractors. It might become, you know, Fred's Plumbing and have a huge franchising aspect to it. Now, that accountant that we've started out with may not have a franchising aspect. It might not be, you know, proficient in the, I'm in Queensland at the moment, so the QBCC rules, which are really quite onerous insofar as people dealing with licensing. They might not know about expansion, contracts, their super, all of that might actually not be their specialty. And it's important for businesses to understand when it's time to make the step, you know, whether that's to another accountant, whether that's to an advisor who will just use the figures that this accountant's churning out, There's no one size fits all when it comes to advisors. It's important that the business owner, most the most important thing is that they're comfortable, that they understand what's happening in their business. There's so many business owners I see, Clive, you know, they're great at what they do, but then you can tell that there's that uneasiness because they don't really know what's going on within the business. Yes, uh, I run across a lot of people too, Alice, who are very, very good at what they do and they continue to think about what they do physically is what they do in terms of providing something to their customers. And of course, they're actually two very different things. And I have fun with my clients and others who I say, look, are you worried about what you do or what you do? Mm, uh, That's true. (laughs) I think someone once said to me, you know, you've got to ask clients whether or not they're spending time in the business or on the business. And both of them are really, really important. And very, very different things. Very different things. Yes. But very important for people to recognise that in the business is one thing, on the business is tomorrow, making sure tomorrow actually arrives. Absolutely. <laughs> or at least if tomorrow arrives that the business is still there. Well, that's so, it. And they talk about, I mean, you probably know more about this than I do, but about the sort of 
the wheel analogy and where you sit. Are you the hub or are you the spoke or do you sit at the umbrella over the top? And I think having a, a check-in at that point very regularly is really appropriate as well. That's right. Can't encourage people enough to get advice from others who are specialists in their field and who just might know stuff that we don't know. I think one of the things with insolvency practitioners, Clive, is we are the big scary people. I'm probably one of few that doesn't look as big and scary as others. But I can see Alice, folks, and she (laughs) she doesn't look scary. (laughs) Thank you. But, you know, what we do, we do every day. It's second nature to us, but it is unpleasant, you know, to a lot of people, and especially when it takes a long time to try and work through a process and then you're left dealing with a liquidator, sometimes you don't even know. The courts might have appointed or a trustee. And it's working through the process insofar as looking at that. But I think it's really important that liquidators and trustees and solvency practitioners get out and talk to people about what we do, what we see. I'm a huge one for learning from other people's mistakes and I like to keep sort of working through that. But also to know that you can come and talk to us or have your advisor talk to us at any point in time. Even when the business is going really well, We're quite handy to know how to carve things out and to restructure and how that looks and, you know, how that can sort of be set up for success going forward. And it's important that you do that with somebody who is qualified. So I'm a chartered accountant. I'm also a member of ARETA, which is the Australian Restructuring and Insolvency Turnaround Association. And I've done two lots of postgraduate studies through ARETA and one lot through the Institute of Chartered Accountants, as it was then known. We have to be fully on our game to practice how we practice. We have, you know, 120 hours of professional development over three years that we have to do and, you know, a huge amount of that is specifically in our field. And that's set down by ASIC, it's set down by AFSA, it's set down by ARETA. So that's three lots of bodies that is looking over the top of us to making sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's why I'm really passionate about people getting advice in so far as restructuring from people who are qualified. Because there are a lot of people out there who might say they're qualified. It would be interesting to note what qualifications they're relying on. But some of the big things for us, well, A, that education piece, we need to. You know, our world is changing. It's only been a few weeks ago the anti-phoenixing legislation came in. Now, that's put everything else on its head. That's made directors now potentially liable for GST, so that's a whole other piece. But you need to be across that, right? And if you're not across that, then you could set up structures that really could cause a lot more harm than good. We've got the safe harbour legislation that's come in relatively recently, you know, and that causes, well, not causes, that actually brings on board some amazing opportunities for business to be able to restructure without going through a formal insolvency, but you need to have a qualified expert in there to be able to make sure that, you know, you're charting the course okay. There's been a lot of changes insofar just our normal Bibles, the Bankruptcy Act and the Corporations Act about what can be done and what can't be done. The last five years has been phenomenal from a change point of view in insolvency. You need to be on top of that. Um, Two other quick things, though. One is regulation. So, you know, you don't do as much study as I've done to do something wrong and get it all taken away from you. And I think you value the industry you work in. You want a good reputation. And I think Sort of having that regular, so I'm regulated by the Institute of Chartered Accountants, what they call now Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand. I'm regulated by ASIC, I'm regulated by AFSA, and I'm regulated by ARETA. So they all talk to each other and they all can issue me with a show cause notice if I do anything that they're not happy with. So that's, you know, a big responsibility. If you don't have an advisor that has sort of a lot of that regulation, then there's no case to answer a lot of the time. 
we've seen recently, and it's been really unfortunate, Clive, but we've seen recently a few jail sentences handed down to advisors who haven't done the right thing. But that's been the first port of call, was to go to court and get them that way because there wasn't a licensing or a regulatory option available for sanction, you know, or for sort of helping them there, not helping them, but helping the process. And one other thing is just insurance. So obviously we have professional indemnity insurance if something goes wrong or if an advice is given that's, you know, we would suggest that wouldn't be the case anyway. But if for some reason, you know, you're not given the right information and you can't give the right advice if something changes, one of the people you've been working with, something happens, there's an insurance, you know, safety net there. Again, I'm not sure that that's the case with some of the unregulated advisors. No, but you, everything you've run through there is perfect criteria for people to check in the event that they decide, okay, maybe I should look at something like this or something like that, whatever it is, whatever area of expertise you need, figure out what the criteria is that somebody needs to tick off to be qualified. And I think whilst you might not have directly said it, you were suggesting that we want to talk to people who will ask the right questions, not ignore the question because they think they know the answer, but also to do it early. Are those two things the appropriate things to keep in mind? Absolutely it is. You need to, as an advisor, do the job that you're being asked to do. I think that's really relevant. And sometimes you've got to ask a few hard questions to get to the core of that, whether it is a turnaround piece, whether it's an exit piece. You know, things are different, but you need to ask the questions and really understand the motives behind why people are in business to start with, where they're wanting to continue, their biggest fears, needing to look at, you know, the risk appetite. Is it is Do they want to be the biggest and the best and are prepared to put in, you know, what it takes to get there? Or are they really comfortable just supporting where they are now, supporting others and making sure that they're safe where they are now and having that sort of the risk element taken out of it? I mean, risk can't be taken out completely, but as much as you can. And I think the other part of that is really asking the questions that are going to get you to the next step. And I think collaboration, you might have touched on this a bit earlier, Clive, but collaboration is key. And a lot of the time you'll find insolvency practitioners think of ourselves as great facilitators. We can often be quite big picture. You can go in, you can see what's happening. You ask the questions about where things want to be, but then you can hook people up with where that gets. So a good example of that is we've done a lot of farming work in our time, stone fruit, dairy, you name it. We can go out there and we can see what's on the ledger. We can go and see, take a walk around the farm, but we'll bring in like an agronomist. We'll bring in, you know, a stone fruit expert and they can then sort of talk to what we need to do. Where's the benchmarking? And clear up a lot of those issues as well. And importantly in all of that, you mentioned asking appropriate questions to find out the appropriate and real answers. A lot of people find the questions frightening, Mm -hmm. but, of course, it's not the question that's frightening, it's the answer. And we need to encourage people to look to their answers, don't we? Oh, absolutely. I don't always subscribe to the begin with the end in mind theory. I think there are other ways of doing things and a heck of a lot of time in between. But I think you need to understand the answers. You need to understand where you're wanting to go. You need to understand where you think you're going and you need to understand the difference between the two. And when you shine a light on those things, as scary as it might seem, I think that's when you have some real sort of light bulb moments, some real success and and innovation 
through that. Find some clarity and the clarity will tell you what the answer is. Absolutely. And I think you need to, I, I firmly believe that you need to take stock to do that. I don't think you can do that, you know, in a really busy headspace and running around. I think you need to sort of have separate time to centre. And that might seem like a very entitled thing to say, or it might seem like sort of a really obvious thing that, but whoever has the time to do that, but it's important. I think it's really important to invest in ourselves so that we can invest in our business and we can see the things. I mean, how many times have you sort of at the gym been running and that's when it all clicks into place? You've been trying to struggle with a problem for, you know, hours and hours and hours and the minute that you're off doing something totally different, the brain works in ridiculous ways, right? But that's when it clicks in. But if you don't give yourself space to do that, then it's never going to click in. Absolutely. And you're taking that time. A lot of people say that they don't have time to plan. For example, well, you know, 10 minutes planning is going to save you two hours in the doing. Absolutely. So find the time. No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but in your years of experience dealing with insolvency issues, what are the main reasons you see for businesses actually turning up their toes? It's interesting, Clive. I've been around for a little while now, and while some things change, some things stay the same. And there's generally two big issues that I see time and time again. One is tax is the ever-presenting problem to a lot of businesses. We're either not paying tax because we can't or because we haven't reported and we haven't realised that we had to, and that's hugely dangerous within itself. You know, the ATO can be the dormant creature that doesn't sort of lurk until right at the end and then it's with the general interest and the rest of it, the penalties, it can be really quite onerous. Just more recently with the new legislation that's come in, the tax office now has power of estimates. So even if you haven't reported, it can estimate now and actually take further action on that. So, you know, you may not have heard from them for a while, but they can be very, very dangerous. And there's a piece around the personal exposure there as well, but that's probably for another day. So tax is a big thing to not be across where the tax is and not paying that tax and I guess what feeds into that is not having an advisor that suits the business not having somebody to really keep a close eye on the numbers it's amazing how many people think that having an advisor costs too much it's too much of a it's not a cost it's an investment in the business even I can't keep up to date to half the lodgement dates around and the rest of it you know if you've got an accountant they're generally on your back in relation to that but also just looking at what's available. They might know about different grants that you can apply for. They might know different people in your space or in complementary spaces that, you know, can benchmark against or that can provide, you know, some sort of synergy. It's a very unpopular opinion and, and I try not to say it, but to be honest, if we are being frank, I think if you're a business and you can't afford to pay your tax and you can't afford a good advisor, then you need to question whether you actually have a good business. Which brings us back to asking appropriate questions to get the right answer, which brings to, as you were saying, if we're talking to the right people, they will have contacts, networks. We all have networks. Absolutely. Are they the right ones for you? Perhaps they are, perhaps they're not. But if we ask the questions, we can figure that out. If we ask the appropriate questions, we can move into the right space. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All comes back to finding clarity finding clarity. How do you do it? You ask questions and you look for answers. And if the answers don't suit, perhaps we better look a bit harder. 
What do they say, Clive? They say that true wisdom comes to the questions, not to the answers. Yes. <laughs> it's all about the questions. It's all about the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to another question. And I know we actually touched on this before, Alice, but most of the people that you run across in business have a problem with the books and the records at some level. Why are quality books and records so important? This is a big one. It's important on a number of levels. So if I was going to be really frank with you, if a company went into administration or liquidation tomorrow and it didn't have any books and records, then as a liquidator, I could deem your company to have been insolvent from inception and sue you personally for insolvent trading for the entire period that your company was operating, which does not seem like a really attractive prospect to anybody. But that's the truth and that's the first reason that I think is mightily good excuse to have great books and records because the onus is then on you to prove why you weren't insolvent. But to be a little bit more positive about things, books and records tell a story. We've had that discussion before. It can tell when things are going standard, providing the status quo. It can tell when things are going great and it can tell when there's a bit of a blip. And you talk about asking questions, but if you see a blip, it's about asking, is that an issue with me or my business? Is it an issue with my clients and their business? Or is it an issue with my competitors and their business? And it gives us a chance to look at, you know, the SWOT analysis and the pest analysis and actually have a really good look at our business and where we might need to pivot in order to either grow, expand and do amazing things or just to make sure we survive. Now, if we're not getting that information, until 6, 12, 18 months down the track, we've missed the boat. Our competitors gone great guns and taken all of our clients and we hadn't even realised that they were there. We may have been in the you know, automobile manufacturing industry and that just has gone and we didn't realise. There's a lot of opportunities may have come. There might have been a business that was up for sale that would have been a great synergy for us, but we didn't know if we had the assets or the collateral to be able to absorb that into our business and it's gone somewhere else now. So having great current and reflective books and records allows us to make decisions, allows us to move forward with choices to really allow our business the best chance for survival and to be able to succeed, then we were just sort of playing with the also-rans. So a big part of these books and records, for those who might be frightened about looking at them, (laughs) is actually simply looking at moments of relativity. What happened this month relative to last month? What happened uh, this quarter relative to last quarter? That style of thing. Is that what you're suggesting we we should be aware of? Absolutely. And over a longer time, but So Mm. you might have fabulous December and your January might bottom out and you might think, well, it's all over Red Rover. I'm not here for much longer. And then your February starts coming back and you might. Comparing December to January to February in itself tells one story. But you might then find that if you look at year upon year upon year, December's always fabulous, January is pretty average, and February we start getting back on track, which leads us not to panic when January comes and there's you know not a lot of cash in the coffers. Alternatively, what it might do is you might think that December's going great, January's not too bad, February's coming back, but your December might have only been 50% on what last December was. And so although looking at sort of the three months, it's the best of the three it may actually not be that great for you at all. So it's asking the right questions and seeking the clarity, but it's also about having enough information to compare and tell the whole story. You think about, you know, some of the 
Lord of the Rings and how far that goes into the saga, you know, you need to have the information to see the whole picture. And I think that's really relevant. Couldn't agree more, Alice. And I'm a a big one for uh, understanding the history because the history will tell you what your future can be. Absolutely. And I think as well, a piece about that is who's looking at it. You might have someone who's been in the business for a very long time. This happens a lot in succession cases, you know, and they're quite happy with how it's tracked as long as it's tracking okay to, to last year. But you might have someone new coming through. Sometimes this happens in family businesses who actually that's not okay for them. They want to do something different and that might cause either smoothing of the line or it might cause a, you know, significant change overall. But it's how people perceive the numbers, how people perceive the results and the answers to the questions. And I think this all comes back to, again, accounting and numbers is similar to a different language. And if it's not your language, get an interpreter so that they can talk to you and you can understand it. Yes. And that interpreter, of course, is a qualified professional in the field that you need to have. Exactly. (laughs) As we come to the end of our conversation, Alice, What is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? My dad was in small business for a very long time and a lot of my sort of very down-to-earth and basic understanding of business from a a very young age has come through from that. The first thing my dad used to tell me, which I think is very pertinent to the business I'm in, to be frank, that he used to say to me, one day rooster, next day feather duster. And I think it's very relevant to understand that whilst We might not be any better than anybody else. We're not always any worse than anybody else either, but we all, you know, end up in the same place at the end. And it's important to be authentic and to be genuine and try not to be anyone else because I tell you what, especially small businesses, they can smell falsehoods a mile away. And it's really important if you're going to have people trust in you and likewise if small businesses are going to have their clients trust in them, You need to be able to relate and you need to be able to talk and you need to have them tell you the answers to those questions that they're really scared to tell you. But if you're authentic about it, I think it goes a long way to having people being able to open up and then we can help. Good on your dad. Good on my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Alice, what is the top piece of advice you would like to leave listeners with today? I don't think it would come as any surprise to listeners today, Clive, but I have two top pieces of advice. One is get quality advice and the other one is get across your books and records. They're two things that I firmly believe in my years of experience in insolvency are the downfalls, are the the pitfalls of people who end up coming across my desk at the end of the day. And you're not always going to be able to prevent everything, but at least you can go into it with open eyes. And the flip side is if you're across your records and you're across the advice, the world is your oyster, especially these days. There's no stopping you, you know, moving forward and being exactly the business that you want to be. Indeed. Once you can see the path, it makes it much easier. Absolutely. Most importantly, Alice, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? Oh, absolutely. Thanks, Clive. Our website is probably the best place to start and you can go to www.smbadvisory.com.au and that will give you a pretty good overview of who we are. There you are. And there's no fancy bits in that. It's just smbadvisory, all one word, mm-hmm. .com.au. That's it. That's excellent. It's been absolutely great having this conversation and just in case... There's still some folks out there listening who think, oh, but it's too scary to go to a professional. Lots of these professionals are actually people 
and they well, have all lives people, generally. just <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> so, yes, find yourself a professional, have a conversation, make sure they're the right one for you and give Alice a call. She'll probably be able to set you straight. Thanks, so, Thank you, Alice. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favorite podcast app. And you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au.